have you all here today. Those of you online, we have people in New York and Virginia and California and Ohio uh, that connect with us online uh, because the drive is too far. And so um, we're grateful for those of you that are online watching here today and uh, or in the future when you watch the replay. We're uh, very blessed to have um, our family uh, at large uh, outside of our community here. And, uh, and, and of course, for those of you here, uh, we uh, have a very unique family. We uh, come from de- very different places and, and uh, different walks of life. And, uh, and we come together because we're all one in Christ. And uh, it's an even playing field when, when we're together. And, and that's what we're learning here in Romans. In, in Romans chapter 1, uh, we, we learned about uh, what the church in Rome was like and the troubles and struggles that they were going through. Uh, when we closed out chapter 1, we uh, heard about things that were going on there. It says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. And, and so this is talking about what was going on with people that are outside the church that don't honor God. Uh, they were doing things that were inappropriate that were not godly. They were being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do they do the same, but approve of those who practice them. And so we finished up with that. It was like, oh, man, that's hard stuff. That's like, uh, you know, because there are some of those things that are part of our previous nature, things the way we used to live and the Lord has saved us from that he has brought us out of that into a relationship with him and so I wanted to go back because the first word in chapter 2 is therefore so when we look at all of those things that Paul was writing about he was writing about these people that practice these things. And then he said, therefore, you are inexcusable. Chapter 2, verse 1. O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. And so here he starts off in saying, look, if you're going to condemn, if you're going to judge those people that are involved in all of that, but you're doing the same thing, you're condemning yourself. Today's message is titled, No Exceptions. And so we continue in verse 1, where it says, For you who judge practice the same things. Well, he was saying, Woe to those that practice those things. And now he's saying, You, yourselves, now he's not talking about the church in Rome now, although that's who the letter is to, right? So that implies there are people that were in the church that were doing these very things, that were involved in these things. And so he's calling them out. Folks, there are people in every church that need to be called out. You know, and I'm not the one to go and call them out. I'm not going to get them on the phone and say, hey, I saw you speeding the other day. (laughs) You know, when I was trying to go around you, you were speeding and I couldn't get around you because you weren't speeding fast enough. And and so we tend to call people out. 
isn't sin so much uglier on other people than it is in our own life? You know, we, we can easily see sin in other people's lives and say, wow, I can't believe you did that. Uh, I don't do that. Well, maybe I do, but I don't do it as bad as you. And, and we, can, we can see sin in other people's lives. And it makes us um, more sensitive to it because it's in our own lives. And when sin is in our own lives, we tend to look for other people that we can blame their sin on and we can make ourselves feel better about our, because they are so much worse at it. They don't hide it as well as we do. But we know in verse 2 that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. There's the word practice again. Practice implies a continually doing something. We, we practice to get better at something, right? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about doing something repeatedly and not changing our ways. We're practicing. We're doing something over and over again. We really need to change that practice. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? And so now he's calling out people who claim to be believers and saying, okay, but you're practicing the same thing that you're calling them out for. You're judging them. You see, we are told not to judge, right? Jesus said that. He told the multitudes in Luke 6.37, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. That's what Jesus said. But here's the problem, is that judging isn't something that we need to be doing with others. It's something we need to be doing for ourselves. God wants us to judge our own hearts first. Do you remember the, the story about taking a speck out of the brother's eye when you got a moat in your own, when you got, that word moat mean a beam? You got, you got a beam sticking out of your eye. Meanwhile, you're trying to take a speck out of someone else's eye. And that's the way Jesus explained it uh, to the Jews. He said, look, who, who are you guys that you're trying to help someone else by removing that little bit out of their lives when you got a bigger problem? How can you even see the speck when you got this moat sticking out of your own eye, this beam sticking out of your own eye? So Jesus said, hey, you're not going to escape judgment. Now, that sounds pretty convicting for us, and, and it almost sounds condemning for us. But Paul is not trying to condemn the believer. Paul is not trying to condemn those who are walking with Christ. So does that mean that every believer walking with Christ is perfect? Absolutely not. We all fail. We all fall short. That's what sin means, that you're missing the mark. You got a bullseye, you're shooting an arrow, and you didn't hit the bullseye. That was the mark. You missed it. Even if you're within the third ring and say, oh, well, at least I hit the third ring. Too bad. Not good enough. You got to hit the mark every time. And sinning means missing the mark. And so when we sin, it doesn't have to be a dramatic sin. It doesn't have to be, oh my goodness, you just murdered someone. No, because lying is a sin. Stealing is a sin. Well, I didn't steal it. It was sitting out there and nobody was taking it. So, uh, you know, I just picked it up. And we can make excuses for our sin. That's what Paul is referring to here. Don't judge someone else by what they're doing. You don't know what's going on in their lives. You don't know 
what they need. You don't know what. And yeah, they may make mistakes. So instead, go and bless them. Pray for them. Don't pray for them by saying, let me get my three best friends and say, you know what that person did? We need to pray for them. No, go to your closet and pray for them. Because that's where it's going to be most effective. Between you and the Lord. Lord, I don't know what's going on in their life. I pray I pray for them, Lord. And just lift it up to God. And then continue doing that until there's a change. Because God is faithful. He's going to get them through it. Verse 4, or Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Those are the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. You see, that's what led me to repentance. It was the goodness of God, recognizing the fact that I wasn't good and I needed a way to be saved. I wasn't good enough to be saved on my own. Because I know my heart. I know the thoughts and the intents of my heart. And I know I'm not good enough to be saved on my own. So I knew I needed a Savior. And God was the one to provide him. Jesus, the one who saves us. And now... I'm perfect. What are you laughing at? Okay. So there is none perfect. No, not one. But there will be a day. Because he says that when he takes us home, we are going to be perfected in him. Man, I can't even imagine what that looks like. You know? I'm sure that it's going to be a good thing but I can't imagine what that looks like. Unbelievers, they determine that the long-suffering and patience of God means that God is okay with what they're doing. Or that there's no God at all. If there was a God, he would strike me dead because he doesn't like the way I'm sinning. You know, so if there was a God, he would really do something about the way I'm wrong interpretation, wrong impression of who God is, a wrong understanding of who he's long suffering and he's patient. He wants if God saw me when I was eighteen, oh he did see me when I was eighteen. When he looked and he didn't say can't do anything with that guy. That's what he should have done because he is just and I was just a jerk and everything that I could do wrong, I did wrong. Every way that I can get in trouble, I did. But he was faithful to be patient and long-suffering until he drew me into this relationship with him, until he opened my eyes. There are people out there Really bad people. People that cut you off on the freeway. People that get in front of you in the, in the fast lane at Safeway with 50 things in their cart. Those people, they, they can be saved too. I know it's going to be tough, but they can be saved. The Lord wants to save everyone. He... he died for the whole world. For God so loved the whole world. That's why he died. For the whole world. His death is enough to cover the sins of the whole world. It's just the fact that they didn't take advantage of it. That's the real problem. People have to decide. I am going to make a commitment for Christ. Because I recognize his death for me. And I am going to accept that as my own. Once they do that, bam, you're saved. 
But salvation is not something that is so easy to get for yourself and then just hang on to, okay, well, I'm saved now. I don't have to do anything. Well, if you're truly saved, you want to do something. You know, okay, now I'm married. I never have to tell my wife I love her again because she knows I married her, you know? And so I don't have to go telling her all that mushy stuff and, you know. You know, that's how you build relationships. You talk and you love, you show love and you, you know, and even if it's not returned right away. See, God is patient that way. Even though sometimes we don't demonstrate the love for him that we should, he still loves us. He never stops loving us. That's, I mean, Paul really hits home in all of his different epistles, but this one covers all of it. But chapter 2 is like really tough uh, when we're reading this, where uh, we hear about things that just rub us the wrong way. Verse 5, but in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, that's uh, impotent means unrepentant or unremorseful, you are treasuring up for yourselves, who, who treasures wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and then to the Greek we are the Greeks where uh, unless you're a Jew and if you're Jewish, praise the Lord, um, you're here hearing about the Messiah as a Jew. If you're not Jewish, uh, we're still recognizing who the Messiah is. That's the Messiah. He's our Messiah. He's the Messiah of the Jews. But they rejected him as their Messiah. But there are many Jews that are Messianic Jews. They believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They are part of the church. We live in the church age. And we're all one big family. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor... nor we're all family. We're all tied together as the church. And here he's calling out those that don't recognize that, that are treasuring up for themselves wrath in the day of... When is that day of wrath? Some people believe we're living in the day of wrath right now. We're not living in the day of wrath because if we were experiencing the wrath of God right now, things would be even worse than they are right now. Many of you grew up in the golden age of the 50s and 60s and, and you know, and the, even the 70s weren't too bad. Okay, they were bad. But um, we grew up in a time where we look back and say it was a different world back then. We lived differently back then. We had different sets of morals there's no such thing as morals anymore. And, and I'm being serious about that. If you look at what's going on in our government, in the school systems, they have removed morals. They've taken them away. We've taken the Bible out of schools. We, we've taken prayer away. And now whose morals do we live by? Their morals. The ones that say they have the answers. They're the ones that are living the example that we read 
in the end of chapter 1 and now are being called out for in chapter 2 here. That's the way the world is going right now. And it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. But that's something that we were also told about. That the world was going to get to a point where it says, well, where are the signs of his coming? You know, everything's the same since the beginning. Nothing is changing. So people have willfully now denied the fact that Jesus is going to return. There are no signs of his coming. We're just, you know, I don't even know why you guys talk about that. And don't mention the word rapture anywhere because that'll just make people's head explode. The rapture. What are you kidding me? Now, it doesn't matter if you believe in the rapture or not. If you're a Christian, you're going. (laughs) If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I don't care if you believe in the rapture or not. You know, uh, because that's God's plan, not mine. I didn't create the rapture, so I had something to get you into church and talk about. Uh, it, this is God's plan. and I'm, But if you don't want to believe that, that's fine. You don't have to. I don't endorse it as, okay, this is the event that's the next event on the calendar. It very well may be, but... I don't say that's what we should be looking for. Mm -mm. We shouldn't put our hope in the rapture. Our hope is always in Jesus first. And so we live our lives living for Christ because there's a stinky world out there. There's a lot of people out there that are looking for answers. And where are they finding the answers? They're finding the answers in transgenderism. They're finding the answers in government. Who would have thought the government was going to be the savior? But people do believe that. Even people that are looking for a change of administration and want a new guy or the old guy back in there and saying, he's going to save us from... No, he's not. Jesus is going to save us from this earth. He's going to take us away. So let's not put our trust in any man other than Jesus, the God-man, the one that can actually make things happen, the one that's going to fulfill his promises. That's where our hope needs to be. And so there are people out there that are confused They're being deceived. They're believing the things that they hear on TV and the news and so on. They believe them because they don't know what to believe. So they're in office, so we must trust them because they're the ones that made it there that, that have all the answers. There's only one person that has all the answers and that's Jesus Christ and we read his words so that hopefully we can glean from those answers so that we can trust him looking at this text it's challenging but it's leading us to the truth verse 11 for there is no partiality with God what? There's no partiality? What about the Jews? His chosen people. He's partial to them, right? No. As a matter of fact, because of the fact that they are his chosen people, because they get it wrong, they get persecuted by other nations and over and over again they t- they get taken into captivity and, and he's trying to get their attention sometimes it would be great to be jewish you know 
uh, under King David, you know, and under Solomon when everything was, oh, glorious and everything was good. Uh, but there were other times when it wasn't good to be Jewish until 1948. And now, ever since 1948, when they became a nation again, they've still been persecuted by every other nation around them. Jerusalem is in the news all the time because it's a divided city and, and there, there is so much trouble. But God, that's, that's his city. That's his nation. That's his land, promised land. You know, that it, it's all his. They don't recognize it. Even the Jews don't recognize it right now. There are more atheists than, than there are Orthodox Jews. And unfortunately, they're still missing the boat. But Paul is calling them out also. We, we read this as a letter to the church, but he's going to get to the point where he's really talking to the Jewish leadership and authority. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And so here he's calling out the Jews. There are those Jews that have the law, Okay, they believe in the law. They're going to be judged by the law. How well they did with the law. Uh, the problem was they didn't do real well with the law. They were doing the same things that the heathen were doing. And they're being called out. But it comes down to not the hearers of the law are just in the sight, but the doers of the law. It's good to hear that there is no partiality, but at the same time, we have to recognize, just because we're the church, we don't get a pass on sin. It's not like, okay, well, you know, now I'm saved by the grace of God, so I'm good, good to go, saved by faith, saved by grace and through faith, right? That's what we believe. But that's still worked out in what we do because that's the evidence for what we believe. What we do is the evidence for what we believe. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Imagine getting pulled over by a sheriff, police official, you know, and, and you get pulled over. And he says, um, do you know how fast you were going? Yes, sir, 65. Did you know that this was a 45-mile-an-hour road here? Oh, yes, sir, I knew. Well, well, why were you doing 60? I knew it was 45. Knowing isn't good enough. You got to be doing it. If I'm not doing 45, I'm going to get busted. And don't do 35 either. You're going to be in my way. <laughs> but we, the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the law is not good enough. We have to live it out. We have to believe it so much that it changes our lives. That it makes us live differently. Not only in the church. Oh man, we can go to church and appear so holy. But get me in Kohl's and, you know, it's a whole different thing. Shopping here, that's, that's not a clearance. How come I go to the clearance racks and it's all sizes that don't fit me? <laughs> you know, I start I'm just taking stuff. What's going on here? And I, I just don't understand why I can't act the same at Kohl's as I can in the church. I do. I, I really do act pretty good in Coles because Cheryl is there with me. So I behave myself for her sake. But 
When we act differently to the world than we do to the church, then that's not a good impression that we're making out there. We need to be the same in both places. For when the Gentiles, this is great, verse 14, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law. So he's talking about the law of Moses, okay, the Ten Commandments. They don't have the law because they're Gentiles. They're not Jews. And But by nature, they do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves, their thoughts uh, accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to the gospel. So here he's saying, look, here as Gentiles, we know the law. Not that we read the Ten Commandments and say, I'm following these laws. We know the law that's written on our hearts. It's in our conscience. We know sinning is wrong. We know lying is wrong. Stealing is wrong. We know idol worship is wrong. I didn't have to learn that. I kind of knew. All right, I was Catholic. So all I did was idol worship. Being a Catholic because they had all the saints and they had everything else that, that goes along with being Catholic. It, it, I was brought up believing those things were how you get close to God, but I never felt close to God. I felt a distance from God, even though I knew everything that I was being taught. There are many Catholics that are believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ that are fully saved. There are many Catholics relying on their religiosity to get them into heaven. I'm a good person because I do these good things and that's what's going to get me to heaven. You don't have to be Catholic for that. There are many people in the world that do that. That they think as long as I'm doing good works... Because that's what Paul said, do good works, that proves who you... It's not the works themselves, it's the reason we do them. We do good works because we have a good Savior, a good Father, and that's why we do the good works, because we love Him and we want to please Him. It's not for impressing other people. We don't do good works so that we can shout it from the, I did something good. You know, check my Facebook page. I have some new posts on what I've been doing lately so that you can see that I'm a good person. Yep. Even have some scripture on it. That's not the kind of good works that we're talking about. Doom in the closet where people don't know. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. That's the good works that we need to be doing. You know, and when we see someone in need, we help them. But don't blow a trumpet while you're helping them. Make it private. And the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. God is going to judge the secrets of men. So here, let me freak you out. He already knows everything going on in your mind. He knows the secrets. The secrets that you think no one else in the world knows because they only go on in here, he knows. What oh Sin becomes a little more tangible then. It becomes a little more sensitive for us because now we know that even in our mind we can sin. Bitterness, hatred. We can sin in our own minds without anyone else knowing it. 
bitterness towards someone else, unforgiveness towards someone else. You know what's funny? You may not see them for years, and all of a sudden you run into them, and they're like, hi, how are you? They're giving you a hug and everything. You're like, you jerk. Don't you remember what you did to me? Don't you remember how you made me feel the way you... Don't you remember that? No, they didn't. And for the last few years, they didn't even think about it. The only thing that that did was eat a hole in your own heart. Don't be bitter. Let it go. Forgiveness. Give it up. Give it to the Lord. You know, a lot of people like to think, okay, well, I'll use that scripture. I'll heap hot coals upon their head because they're my enemy, and I want to heap hot coals on their head. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? That's not what the scripture means. Okay, Heaping hot coals on the head is what they did when you went to your neighbor's house, your fire went out in your house, and you went to your neighbor's house and said, I need some hot coals so that I can light my fire again And because we're cold and we need warmth. And they would come with a big jar and they put, and they put the coals in the jar and they carried it on their head and then they poured it into their fire. That's what heaping hot coals on the head meant. It's not, I'm going to burn your head. <laughs> that's what we'd like to think it meant, but that's not what it meant. Repentance demonstrates that we accept his gift and choose to live our lives for him. That's what we need to be doing. The best way we can show an unbeliever the love and forgiveness that he has for them is to demonstrate it in our own lives. I'm almost here. Verse 17. The Jews aren't going to be able to hide behind their law. Indeed, you are called a Jew. So here is now we know that Paul is writing to Jews in this portion. And rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve of the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Man, he just bumped them up. This is you guys, the Jews, he's saying. Look, you guys are confident in these things. Confident that you are guiding the blind and that you're a light to those who are in doctrine. That's what they were supposed to be. That's why God called them out. And said, you are my chosen people because they were supposed to be doing all of these things. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form and knowledge of the truth and law. Amos prophesied, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. You see, he called them out and gave them a mission, and they sinfully did not follow the mission. They were being blessed by God. He was patient with them. They were being blessed by him over and over again, and they walked away from the blessing and went and worshipped other idols, and they ignored God, and that's why they were punished for their iniquities. Verse 21, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? So now he's really calling them out. You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? So this must have been convicting for the Jews that read this. This is why they crucified Jesus. Because he called them out on all of their sin. He called them out. He said, look, this is what you guys are doing. You guys aren't doing what God told you to do. You're doing what you want to do, what benefits you, what profits you. I I like when he says, uh, when Paul writes, 
You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Well, they were robbing temples. When they would go and uh, fight a battle with, a, uh, with an enemy that they were of the Gentile nations and they defeated them, they would go in and take all of the idols from the temple out of their temple and they would bring them back. Well, they weren't going to worship them. You know what they did? They sold them to other people that worshiped the same idols so that they could make money and profit off of it. Wow. They didn't think anything was wrong with that because I'm not worshiping that idol. I'm just selling it to someone that will. It's basically promoting a false religion. It's basically leading someone in the wrong direction. What they should have done was had a big bonfire and cook some bacon on it. These are Jews. They aren't going to cook bacon. But in the New Testament church, they could. They just didn't, they didn't realize. Glad they saved all the bacon for me. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Isaiah 52.5 was talking about the fact that they were hypocrites and the name of God was being blasphemed because the Jews weren't living for God. They weren't setting the example that goes on in the church, unfortunately. People say, are you a Christian? Are you acting that way? You're doing those things? Are you really a Christian? Now, there are people that are going to call you out for being a Christian and say, well, are you a Christian? But you, you know, you, you don't want all these people to come across the border and come into our... You're a Christian. You're standing up against that. You don't want them to come. We're supposed to welcome those people into our country. And... I'm not going to get into the politics of the thing. There are children being abused. If we stopped this flow of people into the country, they would still be abused possibly, but most likely not. They would just be farmers down in their own country. They would learn this at an early age. It's on them. It's on the country that they live in. Unfortunately, there are many countries like this, like China and Africa. They put children to work out in the mines at an early age. And, and they are just, by the time, if they make it to be an adult, their life is destroyed. It, it's barely in existence. You know, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't help. But we have to start in our own country first. The problem is that we have strayed so far from God that this country is on a downhill slope. Can we stop it? Well, if my people will humble themselves and pray and, and call out to me, I'll hear the land, you know. Uh, yes. But I believe that we also need to recognize what the Bible tells us and recognize the days that we live in and say, okay, things aren't to the point where we can now make the world a, a, a heaven. It's not what's going to happen. We already know because of the scripture. It tells us what is going to happen. The most important thing we can do is bring as many people with us as possible. Because people have lost hope. People don't trust the church anymore. Because there are many churches out there that teach things that conflict with the word of God. They make up their own laws, rules. They make up their own interpretation and they lead people away from a relationship with God instead of into a relationship with God. And so 
you know, we, fortunately, we stick to the word of God, right? That's why you're here. You want to hear the word of God. You want to know what God is directing us to do, the direction we're supposed to be going, who we are trusting in. That's what we're here for, to hear from him. Unfortunately, there's a lot of other people that are hearing other sources and are following them and are being led astray. Uh, That's what Paul is calling the Jews out for. You aren't being the example. You're the problem. And he's calling them out for being the problem. And because of the being the problem, the name of God is being blasphemed. Verse 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law. He's saying, look, just because you have the law, just because you've been circumcised, the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, who obey the law in their hearts and live for the law in their hearts, even though they're uncircumcised, they are going to be judging you who are circumcised, who have the law, but you don't follow the law. You're liars. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Circumcision is speaking of the Jews, and uncircumcision speaks of the Gentiles. The Jews were circumcised, but that didn't mean they were righteous. Many of them were still doing the same old sins that everyone else was doing. The Gentiles were uncircumcised, but some of them lived righteously. They knew in their hearts, and they lived righteously in their hearts. It's not what we tell people what we believe. It's how we live what we believe that people really see. That's what they recognize. There's a similar argument about baptism. Some people baptize their children as soon as they're born, just like circumcision. Okay, well now they're baptized, they're good, they're protected because they're sealed by baptism. You know, and I I remember my first baptism as a Catholic when, um, no I don't. I really don't. I don't even remember when I was 15. So how can I remember? I don't. They just sprinkled water on my head. And I don't remember a thing. Baptism is showing everyone what you believe by being baptized. And so you have to recognize what you believe first before you're baptized. And then it's just an outward expression of the inward faith that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. You see, circumcision wasn't good enough, but It's how you live that makes the difference. So people that are baptized, even people baptized as an adult, that still live in the world in sin, following after sin, it doesn't mean they're unsaved necessarily. They may just be fallen during a a bad time in their life, backslidden as we call it. But uh, the fact is, is that people that are baptized and they live for Jesus Christ, they don't have to go around with a sign on them that says baptized. You don't have to do that. The baptism isn't about uh, you know, how we live. We live for Jesus Christ whether or not we're baptized. 
And when you're circumcised, you have to live for God, whether or not. But the circumcision doesn't make you saved. Baptism doesn't make you saved. It's basically the same thing. But we do it because this is how we outwardly express what we believe. We close considering how to apply what God is telling us here. God is wooing many people to him by his goodness. He's drawing them in. He wants them to have the same salvation that we have. He wants them to experience the hope that we have in Christ. And so he's drawing them in. He's wooing them in. And sometimes the church's response is, well, become a member of our church, you know, and make sure that you attend every Sunday. You give, you know, your tithe, 10%, and so on. And this is how they determine whether a person is saved. I can't determine whether a person is saved because if I just look and say church attendance and tithing records, and I never see those anyway. But if that's how we determine this, if someone's saved, um, that's not accurate. That's the same thing that the Jews did. We get caught up in the same way. You know who determines if you're saved? You. You determine if you're saved because you have the relationship with Jesus Christ. You invited him into your heart. And then you live in the conviction of Jesus Christ. When you are tempted to sin and the Holy Spirit convicts you, that's your awareness of God in your life. That's how you know that I'm, I'm convicted by what I'm doing. If you experience no conviction in your sin, get down on your knees and pray and ask for God to forgive you and to restore that conviction, restore the Holy Spirit in your life. If you think sinning is okay and that's acceptable way of life, do something about it. Make that change. Because time is short. Now, it doesn't matter whether the rapture is tomorrow or 10 years from now. Time is short because many of us will be leaving the earth before 10 years. We'll be going home to be with the Lord. And we don't know. It doesn't matter how old you are. We don't know what's going to happen when we step outside the doors here. And so we need to always be prepared to be received into the camp. When we leave this earth, the next breath is in heaven. And climate change hasn't affected heaven. The air is pure. We can go up there and breathe. It's not like in a July monsoon when you can barely breathe. It's just going to be awesome. So let's get our heads focused on that. There are no exceptions when it comes to being obedient to the gospel. If we believe Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, then we will live like he is. Amen? Amen.